0: Mayfield, this is the final play of the game. Dancing, up in the pocket. Here's the heave, down to the end zone. It's in the air! It's in the end zone! And it falls to the turf! There were three Buccaneers waiting for it, and it looked like they lost it in the lights. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin were there. Nobody jumped for the ball, and the Bills at home to start Week 8 Escaped with a 24-18 win at home over the Buccaneers.
1: Well, that was the moment last night that the game ended. And man, that's one of those plays you can watch a hundred times. And there's a lot to unpack. Although there's one thing right out of the gates, Peter. I got to say it. Kate Otten got mugged by two guys and I know that they don't call pass interference on Hail Mary's I'd like to have a conversation about why that is because Kate Otten got mugged by two guys and he would have had a chance to catch that ball Taylor Rapp and Christian Benford took him out at the goal line we'll show it again I'm sure took him out took him out mugged him both guys neutralized him There's no way he's getting near that ball. There they are, right at the goal line. K-Dot ends up on his butt. There it is. Look there, right at the goal line. If he's not mugged, he's got a chance at catching that. I don't know what the solution is, but I know what the problem is. They never call pass interference on Hail Marys. Peter, and good morning. Good morning, Mike. You know, uh,
2: I thought about that last night but I mostly thought about how that was probably the most beautiful Hail Mary pass I've ever seen. Think of Baker Mayfield. He's not known, I mean, he's not known as a noodle arm guy, but he's hardly known as Dan Fouts. And, you know, or Dan Marino with some great rocket arm. That was a beautifully placed, beautifully placed and thrown Ball and to me, what it says to me is very, very simple: that uh, that the Bucks don't teach that play very well. Because when you get to the end zone, the only thing you should be concerned with is looking for the ball, and that ball landed a foot from where Chris Godwin was basically just standing there. Ready to catch the ball, seemingly, and uh, I just, I just thought that is a play that probably is not worked on enough in practice, uh, you know, at any point. And look at this: this ball was thrown sixty-three yards in the air, a perfect spiral, and a great throw. And so I don't know, I if I'm the Bucks. I've got tremendous regret this morning because that game was basically handed to us. Now, you talk about the interference call, Mike. And I'll I'll just say this. The NFL, if it's not going to call interference on this play, and it clearly never does, if it's not going to call interference on the play, then you ought to make it like the tush push. You ought to just say, hey, look, nobody designed football the the rules makers in the competition committee didn't design football to have two huge men line up behind somebody and push him through the line of scrimmage. That's not that's not what football is and I don't care what anybody says about oh the tush push that's the that's the base of football. It's not football in twenty twenty three it shouldn't be football but it is so good for the eagles for capitalizing on it but my only point is if you're going to have a play like like you know the hail mary play then you ought to basically say that we're not going to call interference on this and anything goes because
1: they don't call interference on it and anything goes You make an excellent point, and that's what bothered me about this. And look, we've got two prongs, and I think we can address both of them. You're right. Chris Godwin had a shot at the ball. Chris Godwin didn't seem to realize that at some point during the play, a football was going to emerge into his field of vision. Kind of an important aspect to the Hail Mary play. At some point, the ball is going to be here. It was almost like he was surprised by the sight of it. I don't know how effectively you can practice it full speed, because there's too much physical risk involved risk involved with bodies everywhere. And I don't know that you'd want to do Hail Mary's full speed all the time. Because they don't factor into your game action all that often. But wins and losses hang in the balance in those moments. And Baker Mayfield, who by the way, was spectacular last night. He's not going to get the credit he deserves for the way he played last night. He was constantly under duress. Constantly harassed. Yep constantly trying to buy an extra half second there was one play where he was in the middle of being sacked and he completed a pass sidearmed. he if they had 11 baker mayfields on the field last night on offense they would have won that game he was determined to will that team to victory and i'm not saying that as a slight to the other 10 guys but he played with relentlessness with drive with determination, with fearlessness, with recklessness, not in a bad way. He had no regard for his own well-being, no regard for his body, and every regard to do whatever he could to keep the Bucks from losing three in a row. And I got more respect for Baker Mayfield today than I had yesterday. Not that I didn't have any, but I had plenty. I have more after watching him last night. And It's a damn shame they lost the game. And it all came down to, like you said, a beautiful Hail Mary. It was perfect. And because Chris Godwin seemed to forget that at some point a football was going to be arriving, and because Kate Otten was Malachi crunch, there's a reference that'll take some of your way back and cause others to say, what's this old guy talking about? It was a Malachi crunch on Kate Otten. That's what kept it from being a touchdown or an untimed down just like the last primetime game we saw in buffalo untimed down end of the game chance for the giants to win untimed down chance for the bucks to win cuz they'd gone for 2 when they were down 14 the analytics approach allowing them to avoid overtime and get a walk-off win if they score again and they almost did it's their fault for godwin not being ready to catch the ball and it's the nfl's fault for creating this bizarre culture of we don't throw flags for Hail Marys, except when it's replacement officials who fail to throw it and everybody goes nuts and it ends the strike back in 2012. Remember that Monday night game when it was Golden Tate with the blatant offensive pass interference to catch a Hail Mary. The sky was falling after that and the real officials were back three days later. Otherwise, they don't call it and nobody ever says anything about it. Everybody just kind of accepts it. Al said it at the end of the game. You could call penalties on a bunch of guys here if you really wanted to. Yes, you could. But no, they don't want to.
2: Here's the uh I have sixteen points based on what you just said. Um <laughs> look, and I realize I realize that every there's so many games that are decided. By sort of fluky things they just are and last night to me you know you 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 say that you know the Bucks either should have could have whatever won this game you know the Bucks got back in this game I'll tell you how the Bucks got back in this game all right with a ridiculously long drive that twice on fourth down was aided by penalties on the Buffalo Bills including once okay when Jordan Phillips almost as uh, it's it's it, it was a he got called for a face mask on a fourth and eight that the Bucks failed to convert. And it was almost a never mind face mask. I don't know if we can even see that again. And I know that that's a weird play in this game. But but. But the only reason that the Bucks had a prayer at the end on the Hail Mary is because Jordan Phillips got called for it, And it was a face mask. Don't get me wrong. But it was almost like he clearly did not mean to do it. And I'm not excusing it. It's got to be called. It has to be called. But I'm just saying it wasn't a violent face mask. It, wasn't, it, was, it was clearly... What I would call an accidental face mask call. But but anyway, be all that as it may. Mike, you talk about you can't practice that play full speed. You don't need to have 68 guys in the end zone okay? when you practice that play. Here's what you need. You need the player to know that when he gets to the goal line, He's got to look up in the sky and look for the ball. That's what you got to do. You get, I mean, it was weird for as good and as fundamentally excellent a receiver. Tom Brady loved Chris Godwin, loved him. And for somebody who's as fundamentally sound and as good a receiver, it's amazing to me that Chris Godwin passed the goal line and basically never saw the ball until it hit the ground. Uh, seemingly, anyway. It just, that's just a, an odd play, and I think you can practice that. when players get to the goal line, you teach them, look up, look up. don't don't care about guys who are pushing you and all that stuff. That doesn't do you any good. Look up for the ball, find it, and fight for it. That's what that play was about last night. and you know
1: the bucks didn't do it. And you, you make a great point, look. The outcome of any game or the potential outcome change in a game is influenced by so many things that play out in the course of the 60 minutes of football, all the way back to the first drive of the first quarter, if you want to take it that far some nights. The reality, though, is what resonates, what's remembered, what is the last thing that causes people to say, wow, that thing goes the other way, the other team wins the game. And it came down to that hail mary. You're right, the pat, uh, the the face mask. Hey, it it happened. It extended the drive. Game would have been over. The Bills failed on multiple occasions to deliver the the death blow, for lack of a better term, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the other side of the 50, fourth and short. Punt, 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 punt. And it did a good job of putting the Bucks in very bad field position and. Can now, he, one of those hey, drives resulted in the 22 Mike, plays. Go ahead.
2: Go ahead. Can we just look at this play? I want you to watch this play because here's what I want to tell you. Okay? Because on this play, he's almost down already. And the last act is a face mask. But, Mike, do you realize on this play, it was fourth and eight. Okay? he The play was basically over. And he was going to lose 10 yards. It was going to be four. It was going to be, it wasn't going to be, it was going to be fifth and 18. (laughs) You know, they were going to be 18 yards behind the first down. Okay. Shy of a first down. And so, and they get 15 yards and an automatic first down. And again, I think when I watched this last night, you know what I said? I looked down and I said, okay. They would have been 18 yards shy of a first down. And this weird, you know, not egregious face mask. Okay? I almost think you ought to have roughing the kicker and running into the kicker on face masks. Remember when they used to have that? Used to have it. Okay, Used it to have used it. to be. Never explained yeah, why they got rid to of be it. be judgment Five and 15. on that call. Yeah. Okay. But, and so my, my only point, I'm fine With you making all face masks a 15-yard penalty, but in my opinion, make it a 15-yard penalty. (laughs) You know that's what you should make it. Why is it an automatic first down? Yeah, but but I'm so my point is my point is that you know that play last night was a crucial play, and that happened with what four minutes left in the game or something like that. And they were down twenty-four to ten at the time. This game was over. It was over. It was long since over. Especially because the Bucks took nine hours on that drive. Uh, what are they doing? Come on, Al Michaels must have said it sixteen times, and he's absolutely right. Why are they going so slow on this drive? Anyway, be all that as it may. It was a well, fun end to the end of the game. And 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 I and and I just think this about about all of these things. Football is a very,
1: very narrow window between victory and loss. And the point that I wanted to make is it shouldn't have been that narrow because the Bills kept punting on the other side of the fifty. At some point you got to trust your offense to gain four or five yards. The ball goes into the end zone. You're looking at a 20-yard net. That's what the Vikings did the other night, and I thought it was a horrible mistake, and they're lucky they won the game, fourth and four from the 42. They punt. It goes into the end zone. It's a 22-yard net, and in two plays, the 49ers are where they would have been if the Vikings had gone for it and failed. You've got to be willing, and in this age of analytics, and go for it, and be aggressive, go for it, go for it. The Bills punted like three times in that spot.
2: Hang on a minute. I want to ask you this question. Here it is. Bills are up by six points. All right? They have not been great on converting uh, this year necessarily, although I don't even know what their fourth, fourth down numbers are. But it's just, you know, me watching these games. Do I trust them to get a yard on fourth down? Because here is the consequence, Mike. If they don't get the yard on fourth down, okay, they give the ball to Tampa at the 48-yard line, all right, or the, maybe, maybe midfield if they lose a couple of yards. And this punter had left the ball on three kicks around midfield. He had left the ball at the two, at the three, and at the eight, okay, I would much rather have my guy punt the ball with half a minute to go and Tampa having no timeouts. I'd much rather punt the ball with my punter having a record of putting it right inside you know, the, the 10-yard line. And if you show a replay of that, and I talk about obscure plays to show replays of, that play with 29 seconds to go on that punt, it was in the hands of a guy at the one-yard line who just missed flipping it back. So Sam Martin did his job. You know, his gunner did not. So, But all I'm saying is that I will guarantee you this morning, you know what you would be screaming about? If they went for it, failed, and the Bucks came down on a short field and won the game, you would have been screaming that Sean McDermott made a dumb call. That's, that's what happens. Can I in say this? Let me say something, Peter. Like Let
1: me that. say something. Yeah. Let me say something. You're missing my point. You're missing yep. my point. You're missing my point. I, sh- I should have interrupted you early on my, because twice they were up 14 when they did it. I'll concede the third one. Twice they were up 14 and they didn't go for the death blow. That's my point. And I think maybe a third time they punted. They were at their own 49. I don't know what the fourth down play was. I'm looking at the game log now. But twice they had a makeable fourth down. They're up 14, and they punted. You want to put a team away, you keep the drive alive, and you take 14-21 to because it kind of felt that way. And I think one of the reasons why Buccaneers fans this morning aren't as upset about the final outcome as they could have been because they watched that game, and from the moment it was 10-10, something in the Bills finally woke up. And it's 17-10, it's 24-10, and it felt for so long, it's just a matter of time before it's 31-10. And the Bills had multiple opportunities, up 14 to put him away. And twice, at least, maybe a third time, they punted in position to continue a drive that would have put the Bucks away. The last one, I'll agree with you. They should have punted that one up six. That's one of the benefits of playing the analytics game of going for two down 14. You give the offense a lot to think about when they get the ball back and they're only up six points. It's one thing to think, Well, if they get the ball back, they, you know, we'll go to overtime and we're at home and we'll win in overtime or whatever. You're up six. You're thinking we can't let them get the ball back. And they did. And they they almost won. And I just think that I the the broader point that I think the NFL needs to have a conversation about in this age of legalized gambling, where they better get their act together before the scandal comes Whatever it is, whatever shape it takes, whoever it is originated by, whatever function, quarterback, coach, GM, official, whoever, this is the kind of thing where they got a rule on the books. There's no exception for Hail Marys in the rule book. Remember in 2019 when they were going to have replay review for pass interference and they were trying to graft this exception on to replay review for Hail Mary's because they're conceding they never call it or rarely call pass interference on Hail Mary's. He's got a problem here. And like you were saying about the the quarterback push play, if this is the way that it's going to be, somebody needs to capitalize on it. And the Bills, to their credit, bravo, bravo. You got away with it, just like you did in the end zone against the Giants. Mug Darren Waller because that guy standing at the goalpost, who just called pass interference in the end zone and heard about it for 40 seconds from all the fans 10 feet away from him, isn't going to call it again. So keep Darren Waller from catching the ball. And hey, if they throw the flag, we get another on-time down. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. So take out K. Otten like Taylor Rapp and Christian Benford did. It worked. They didn't call it. We won the game. So, you know, Whether it's in the rule book, not in the rule book, it's application of the rule, whatever the case may be. Good coaching consists of recognizing the things you can get away with. And I guess we should be praising Sean McDermott and the Bills for knowing in that moment they can get away with pass interference because they weren't going to call it. Because if Kate Otten hadn't been touched, maybe he would have been the one with the head on the swivel who would have seen the ball coming in, caught it, and extra point bucks somehow win and uh, a lot of reaction shots of sad bills fans wondering what the hell just happened
0: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. At the theater, more than the movies come to life. Movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. Pick me! Pick me! And head to the best seats in the house for a night of... Romance, terror, and quality family screen time. Visit fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again. Good for the United States. When that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics this summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock.
2: Yeah, I I think that what happens a lot of times, Mike, you talk about this a lot. You talk about you know The bright, shiny object being the next game, being the next series of games. You know, you think about this, and I thought about it a lot after that play last night. Several things. Number one, the Bills, the Bucks have got to coach the Hail Mary better, period. And why don't they just basically exclude Hail Marys from pass interference? Because Technically, Mike, the back judge on that play should get a downgrade uh, for future playoff assignments because he ignored the mugging on Kate Otten. So if, if that is going to get called on any play, any other play than a Hail Mary, do the officials sit there in New York when they grade the tape on Monday, do they sit there in New York and they say, oh, Hail Mary, that doesn't count. It's ludicrous. The play could have decided the game. If Chris Godwin catches the ball, the Bucks win the game. So then it does count, doesn't it? And, and so those are the kind of things that I just think, because the NFL has however many, 13 more bright, shiny objects this weekend— Oh, wait a minute. It's a non buy weekend for some reason. So they have all, everybody's playing. So 14. now there are 30 teams. 14 and then one Monday. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is there everybody's playing. So there's, you know, 15 right. more games. So every single, there's going to be plenty of time to forget what happened Thursday. And the NFL does that all the time. They just forget the stuff that should be a story and that, Mugging of Kate Otten. It should. I'm not saying that's the story of the game. What I'm saying is that is an issue that ought to be discussed by the competition committee. And there ought to be some. If you're not going to call it, then exclude it from the rules. Period. Just say anything goes on this play. Because honestly, doesn't anything go in the tush push? Anything goes. Push, shove, pull, yank, whatever. And, you know, there's a rule on the books with the tush-push, by the way, that you can't pull a player along, okay? I want you to look at, I bet, 10 of Jalen Hurts's tush-push plays. And you see plenty of grabbing him and trying to pull him forward. And, and and I, you know, so if you're going to have a rule, call the game
1: by the rules. Oh, you're right. I noticed Dallas Goddard pulling Jalen Hurts on one of the quarterback push plays earlier this year. Um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, though. There's never a chance to have a meaningful discussion about any broader concept like this idea of why don't they call pass interference on Hail Marys? Should they? What would it look like? Would it be maybe just a different standard? Let's just make a different standard. Instead of open season, let's have a different standard for pass interference on Hail Marys, just like they were trying to create a different standard for replay review of pass interference on Hail Marys. Of course, first of all, you have to have a generally accepted understanding of what a Hail Mary is. And ultimately, I remember all of this debate. It's like, you know it when you see it. You know what a Hail Mary is. But should we have a different standard? Should we have no standard? What should it be? Oh, wait, we got 14 games on Sunday. Uh, let's, let's put a pin in that until the next time it comes up. And how many of these things really resonate into the offseason? How many of these issues become such a big deal? And every once in a while, you'll hear the perfunctory report from somebody that the NFL is going to discuss. Insert name of controversial play. In the offseason. Okay, fine. What actually happens during the regular season that makes its way to the offseason? The quarterback push play, presumably, because it it's one thing that isn't going away. But Peter, the only reason the pass interference thing with replay review became a big deal was because the instance of uncalled interference happened in the NFC Championship game and everybody in New Orleans lost their mind and boycotted watching the Super Bowl. They had record low ratings for the Super Bowl that year cuz every Saints fan was still pissed off that the Saints should have been there. That's what gave it the momentum necessary to get to February and March. This this conversation that needs to be had about a rule book that says nothing about Open season on Hail Mary plays is interpreted and applied by the NFL and the officials to be open season on Hail Mary plays. What are we going to do about this? And the broader point that I make as the NFL gets its sea legs in this environment of legalized gambling where the NFL is grabbing every last dollar it can, you have to be thinking about where the landmines are. And when you have a rule on the books that gets applied completely differently in certain circumstances than the language in the rule book would suggest, you got a problem that you need to be worried about because it's going to bite you in the ass one of these days. But like you said, any discussion, and, and I bet, Peter, we're the only ones talking about this. We've been talking about it for 20 minutes now. I bet we're the only ones that are going to talk about this today. Maybe in Tampa they will. Maybe in Tampa. But it's an important point. And it's going to get obscured by, oh, we got oh, we got games coming up on Sunday, and it's only going to be an issue if it happens at the end of a big postseason game. Then it carries into the off season. You know, there's
2: really not much else to say other than you know somebody in the NFL just has to put a note on the calendar. Okay, And the note on the calendar should be on February 24th or whatever day it is that people in the NFL office, including in football operations, are going to fly to Indianapolis and they are going to have three days of meetings with the competition committee to discuss things that happened in 2023 and to discuss what are going to be our big issues this year when we get to the NFL meetings in March and we are going to decide if we're going to make any rules changes. The time to change the rule is not today because you're in the middle of a season. The time to change the rule is in a conference room at the Indianapolis Convention Center on February 24th. That's the time where somebody with a conscience should say, We need to do something about the Hail Mary play. You shouldn't just say, oh, it's a Hail Mary play. Who cares? You should care because out of the 160 plays in the game last night, that was the last one. And it could have been easily,
1: easily the decisive one. Last point I'll make. Echoes something I said earlier this week. And since I've already pissed everyone off at 345 Park Avenue, I'm going to go ahead and do it again. I always thought that the reluctance, for example, for full-time officials or reimagining the officiating function with all the technology that's available now. And Bill Belichick's been arguing for fixed cameras, et cetera. All the things you could do to make it better. I always thought it was just a matter of cheapness. Somebody with one of the teams explained to me a few weeks ago that people also just don't want to be bothered. They don't want to work harder then they're already working. Like Michael Scott once said, I don't get paid by the hour anymore. I get paid by the year. You're not going to get anyone, any of the executives, any of the people who are involved in this, they don't get a bonus. They don't get overtime for being creative, for being responsible, for prioritizing these things and pushing against the momentum or lack thereof, which would be people on the competition committee rolling their eyes. Here we go again. No, we don't want to do that because, Peter, here's the bottom line everything's fine. If you're the NFL, you can just look at it and say everything's fine. We don't need to rock the boat. We don't need to make these changes because the money keeps flowing through and nobody's really giving us a hard time about it. Yeah, some of those jerks out there like Florio will nip at our heels from time to time, but we just kick him away. No one's really doing anything about it. They're still watching the games. We're still making the money. Why do we want to take the time to mess with it? We don't need to do it. So, so until the moment comes that someone sues them, someone disrupts their reality by creating a regulatory agency, someone starts handing out indictments because they believe that there's something that crosses the line into the world of criminal prosecution, whatever it may be, until that happens, they won't do it. They should, you're right, they should, but they won't. All right, what we should do, is give the Bills some credit because their offense looked not very good on Sunday against the New England Patriots. There were so many questions about where are they and what are they doing last night, even though they should have more than 24 points. Last night, Peter, the offense looked a lot better. I'm not ready to say they have a full-fledged identity, but Josh Allen played well. He spread the ball around to more players than Stephon Diggs, and the Bills' offense felt like it was functioning well the way that it should. Yeah, I I remember I was just sitting here
2: right now looking at some of the notes I made after last night. At the end of the first quarter, I wrote down difference in bills, colon, attack, attack, attack. I mean, that's what they did. That's what they're best at. And look, I have been among those who have said they got to stop running Josh Allen so much. Because in my opinion, it just leads to Josh Allen, Josh, Josh Allen being 81% in January instead of 96%. Okay? And you you know, but maybe, maybe, just like with Debo Samuel. With Debo Samuel, you have to just accept the fact that there are going to be some times he's either going to be unavailable or at a significantly diminished physical capacity in a game. Because that's who he is. That's how he plays. So, and I only make this point about Josh Allen in running for a very simple reason. That you've got your franchise quarterback. Don't you want him to last 17 years? I I mean, and I think the Bills in watching Josh Allen in the first half decade of his career have basically said We don't think he's going to last 17 years if he plays like this. So let's dial back the running a little bit. And I understand the fans want him to run. Al Michaels even wanted him to run last night, or at least it sounded like, which is fine. But if you do have Josh Allen running the ball, you have to take the consequences of Josh Allen running the ball. And also of Josh Allen not just dumping the ball away. You saw that he hurt his shoulder apparently last night on you know when he was running out of the pocket trying to make something happen. And look, you can't put players in bubble wrap. You just can't. They have to play. But I think the way I look at this is right now, Mike, that there is a consequence for everything that you do in the NFL. And here's where he, he banged his shoulder. There's a consequence for everything you do in the NFL. And if you want them to run, and if you want that attacking mode where everything goes, anything goes, you just have to be willing to accept the consequences.
1: Well, and this is the basic reality of any quarterback choosing to run the ball and otherwise embrace the risk of contact. The more you get hit, the greater the chance. It's like a lottery ticket. Every hit is a lottery ticket. That potentially results in disaster for the team and the best quarterbacks have none of those lottery tickets. They avoid the hit. You never know which hits going to be the one. I still have that vivid recollection of Jimmy Garoppolo deciding to drop his shoulder into a Chiefs defensive back at Arrowhead Stadium week three 2018 and tears his ACL while doing so. Just get out of bounds. Just get out of bounds. Robert Griffin III, his first game with the Browns against the Eagles. Instead of just getting out of bounds, drops his shoulder, injures himself, and he's back like two months later. Avoid contact. There's nothing wrong. There's no shame in avoiding contact. Last night, as something as simple as Josh Allen being tripped up. Can we play that again? I wasn't sure what was wrong with him. He's, his knee, he's, his leg, yeah. his arm, because this 6-foot, 7-inch, 240-pound guy came crashing down. Bigger they are, the harder they fall. He fell hard just by getting tripped up. Look, there's the left leg. Wait, with the right leg, where am I hurting? Let me see. Oh, wait, I think it's my arm. So, that, that, and, and if you're going to embrace it, and you're right, Al made the point, the fans wanted to run. Everybody wants him to run. The more he runs, the greater the chance you're going to have something like this. And it's a, it's a it's an issue now. Here he is after the game, talking about the shoulder injury that ultimately was detected by what was happening on the sideline. Alan talking after the game about what it means going forward. Uh took a little little fall on it and um, just felt a little funky about it, but you know, just trying to keep it warm and keep it loose. I'll be sore for a couple days, but we'll be fine. So anytime you, you you feel something in your throwing shoulders or quarterback, alarms are going off in your head of you know, crap. Um, but something that again we'll we'll have to monitor and, and continue going forward with and making sure we're taking care of it. Yeah, that's not exactly an everything is fine and will be fine. That's a, I got through the game, but let's see how this goes. Let's see how this goes. There's a lot of stuff in that shoulder, as we've learned with Deshaun Watson over the past few weeks. Capsules and muscles and rotator cuffs and whatnot. And it doesn't take much inflammation, swelling, whatever, to cause a quarterback to maybe lose a little something. And anybody that's ever suffered an injury at night knows there's a chance by the next morning it's going to feel a little different than it did in the immediate aftermath of the injury happening. And, Peter, fairly big game coming up for the Buffalo Bills, if you didn't know. Nine days from today, Sunday night football, week nine, the Bills at the Cincinnati Bengals. Kind of important to have Josh Allen at full strength for that one.
2: Here's the here's the thing about the the future for the Bills, Mike. And, and look, every team can say, well, this is going to be a rough stretch or this is going to be hard, okay? But let's, let's look at the Buffalo Bills. And, and, and again, we could talk about the emotion of their next game, you know, basically 10 months after seeing a teammate almost die on that field and the game be suspended, and luckily DeMar Hamlin uh, comes back and and appears to be absolutely fine now and is back and, and all that, there's going to be some emotion coming into that stadium and playing that game. But to me, it's not just about that. If you look at the schedule that the Bills have in the last two months of this season, you know november and december leaking into january it's phenomenally difficult just just look at it at cincinnati the jets at home the jets have something on this team and it's not good you know and then philadelphia at home i'm sorry philadelphia on the road kansas city on the road dallas at home closing at miami on January 7th. And and I mean, look, a lot of teams are going to have tough schedules down the stretch. Miami's is not easy. You know, the AFC East has a tough schedule this year. However, I just look at this team and I just say, they better get their offense right. Because they're going to have to
1: score a bunch of points to win even half of these games. And Peter, every game... Until week 17 against the Patriots. Every single one of them is primetime or 425 p.m. Eastern. Big spotlight. Or game. a doubleheader Eagles. game. Yeah. So there's, yeah. That's, there's that Saturday night Peacock game, primetime. So everything is standalone or, or – The prime game in the 425 p.m. Eastern window, which 20 million plus watch every single week. So there's gonna be a lot of scrutiny of everything the Bills do. There's nowhere to hide. You can't tuck yourself in the in the range of one o'clock Eastern games. It's a lot easier to have a bad game when you're one of seven, eight, nine, one o'clock Eastern games when you're 425 or prime time. Everyone notices when things don't go well. And they went well last night until they almost didn't. But it did work out. As we mentioned, ball gets spread around to a bunch of different guys. Gabe Davis caught nine passes for 87 yards and a touchdown. Khalil Shakur, six catches for 92 yards, a career high for him. Stephon Diggs only had 70 yards on nine catches, but they're, they're spreading the ball around. And Dalton Kincaid, with Dawson Knox out, comes in with five catches, 65 yards, and a touchdown. So this is what the Bills need to do. It can't just be Josh Allen running around with his hair on fire, waiting for Stefan Diggs to get open 50 yards down the field. You have to have some way to move the ball consistently to set up your shot. And on a night like last night, if the shot doesn't come, you're still moving the ball well enough with the other guys to score enough points to win, Peter. You know, there's one other
2: thing I would say, Mike, that... Strikes me as really kind of interesting. So, over the last 16 quarters, last four games, the Bills are two and two. They've outscored the opposition by two points collectively in those four games. And so the Bills are no steamroller. And I'm not trying to give them style points on any win but just imagine if chris godwin were looking for the ball last night and actually caught it that would mean the buffalo bills would be 1 and 3 and will have been out, would have been outscored in their last four games it's just you just get the feeling that the bills are still really trying to find themselves and if i were them and you might say you can't play tempo you can't play attack the entire game. I would respect that, but I would also say, okay, if you can't play it the entire game, play it two-thirds of the game. Because clearly, that was when the Bills were at their best in this game last night, and with a smart, aggressive quarterback who makes good decisions, Josh Allen, Uh, and I don't care what the turnover numbers say. I trust him to make good decisions. Um, With a smart quarterback who makes good decisions, I like playing tempo. I want to put the ball in his hands. It reminds me of Jim Kelly in the no huddle. I want Jim Kelly to have the ball in his hands. I want him to be the decisive factor in these games. So to me, if I'm the Bills, if I'm Ken Dorsey, I go into, you know, look, Sean McDermott, my guess is, Coaches are in today, and then they have two days totally off. Good for them. They they should have that on this mini-buy. But if I'm Sean McDermott, I'm ducking my head into Ken Dorsey's office this morning, and I'm saying, hey, let's play more tempo. Let's go fast. That's
1: when we're at our best. And when you look at their schedule, we looked at it forward. I want to peek back a little bit. After that weird week one, Aaron Rodgers, Monday night Jets game that the Bills lost in overtime, they were dominant. They were in overdrive for three straight weeks. Week two, 38-10 win over the Raiders. Week three, 37-3 victory at Washington. Yeah. Week four, 48-20 over the Dolphins. And then they went to London. And since London, it's 2-2 two and two, and could be 1-3 and three, or even 0-4. Oh the two wins were the Giants hold on to your butts, the Giants might win this game moment. And then last night, which I think as Bills fans reflect on it a little bit more, they'll realize how close it was to becoming a loss. The Giants game felt throughout like, man, they may lose this. Last night's game, once they woke up, you know, when it was 10 nothing and the Bucks tied up 10-10, once the Bills snapped out of that, it never felt like they were going to lose. But when you reflect on it, they could have lost that game. They could be 1-3 and or over 0-4 over the last four games. And it's not the kind of momentum that you want to carry, to your point, into this gauntlet that they're about to run from now until the Chargers game week 16. That's the next game on the schedule that I would look at and say, Bills definitely should win that one. Every game between now and then, I look at it and I say, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't either.
2: And and look, one of the things that's fun about the NFL this year, Mike, is I think we could look at the Buffalo Bills and we could look at, let, let's take this, this you know, brutal schedule that they have coming up. And let's just look at Cincinnati, the Jets, Philadelphia, Kansas City, and Dallas, okay? That's five games where you just say, quite honestly, they could win or they could lose. Neither result would surprise me in the least, okay? So that's five games. They could go four and one, they could go one and four. And so to me, I look at the Bills right now and I think they it's essential that they do what they do best. You know what really impressed me last night? This little wide receiver that we've never heard of, Shakir, and the tight end who was drafted to become the offensive tight end, a depth piece along with Dawson Knox, you know, who would obviously Dalton Kincaid. And those two guys were huge in the passing game last night. I love the fact That they relied on two guys who, uh, you know, before this year you never heard of, you know, in in Buffalo anyway. And, and I really appreciate the fact that Josh Allen is looking for everybody. He's not myopically looking for only Stefan Diggs with, you know, if Diggs is doubled, I'll go to Gabe Davis. You know, last night they had two big tight end injuries and they were still really good and effective in the passing game because Josh Allen looked at everybody.
1: And that's what a good quarterback does. And that's what they're going to need to do. Peter, look, we just assume the Bills are going to be there when we get to January because they've become a fixture in the postseason. With the schedule that's coming up, And the standings as they currently are configured. With three losses, that puts them in a cluster for the last spot in the playoff party. They're one loss behind the Dolphins for the AFC East lead. They are one loss behind the Steelers and the Browns for the fifth and sixth seeds. And they're at the same number of losses as the Jets and the Texans for the last spot in and the Bengals It makes next week's game fairly important because that's what you got to look at. You got to look at losses, especially this time of year where some teams have played eight, some teams have played seven. And I, that's the one thing I like about the boss. I can't keep it all straight. Look at the losses. How many losses can you get away with before you are in? Oh crap. We got to win every game from here on out mode. Three can become four for one of these teams. And the Bengals have, Bengals may get their fourth loss on Sunday in Cincinnati, creating an even greater urgency to beat the Bills next week. You get to four, you get to five before Thanksgiving, Peter? You're getting closer and closer to the, the postseason begins with five weeks left of the regular season, because if we lose any of these, we're done. Yeah, well, I would look at it in a different way that,
2: yes, the Bills have three losses. They've also got two more wins than the Bengals have, than the Jets have, because they've played two more games. So you can't eliminate that. They're, they're in a hugely advantageous position when it comes to comparing them to the Bengals. You know why? Because the Bengals' next two games are at San Francisco and at Buffalo. And if the Bengals sweep those two games... My name is Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Okay, so so be careful. I, I would just be careful. At all be this. careful.
1: Don't don't promise to retire. Don't because uh, don't don't do that. I didn't. Don't, do, don't want to, have I didn't. to. do what Mad and Dog I did. I know. I wouldn't. I, mean, yeah, I know. I'm just I kidding. wouldn't. I'm kidding. I wouldn't.
2: I would never I do that. I love Mad Dog, especially in baseball. But all I'm saying, all I'm saying, is that you know w- w- what w- what odds would you get? in Vegas right now for the Bengals I, because I'm I'm curious and I don't cuz I don't bet I don't know but I w- I would assume that you could make a bet right now on the Bengals going 2 and 0 in the next 2 weeks and I'm I'm serious I would seriously ask this question what would the odds of that be like 8 to 1 I, I, I don't even Here's I don't one. even know. And I don't know all the plus and minus and all that. What tell me what you think they
1: would be. I, I don't know, because that's not my thing. I just repeat the odds that others formulate and put on the screen. But Peter, they are at home for the Bills game. They're not in Buffalo. So that changes it a little bit. Not well, that sorry. home field You're advantage right. means a whole You're lot right. this year. Yep. But but to not have to go to Buffalo in yeah. prime time. Is a good thing if you're the Bengals. You get them to come to you. Yeah. Um, but you're right. 2-0. and The chances of them going 2-0, and even though I do think they're going to win on Sunday. We'll probably talk about that game coming up. The chances of going 2-0, and not great. And I agree with you. They've got the two extra games. They've got the two extra wins. But the losses are the things to watch. And when you look at that schedule that you pointed out, there are losses lurking for the Bills. And the question is, how many can they get away with over this gauntlet that's coming up? with the Chiefs and the Bengals and the Cowboys. How many can they get away with? And the Eagles, how many can they get away with? All right, uh, we've gotten away with 51 minutes to start the show. Let's take a break. When we return, (laughs) we'll talk about the Niners and the Bengals. uh, Right on cue, can the Niners bounce back after they've lost two in a row? More PFT Live right after this.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed?